Chapter Twelve of One of My Sons by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve Gossip. Next morning I routed up Sam Underhill at an early hour. Sam Underhill is my special friend. He is also my nearest neighbor, his apartment being directly under my own. He is a lazy chap, and I found him abed, and none too well pleased at being disturbed. "'What the dickens brings you here at this unearthly hour?' was the amiable greeting I received. I waited till he had made himself comfortable again. Then I boldly stated, "'You are a club man, Sam, and consequently well up in the so-called gossip of the day. What can you tell me about the Gillespies? The three young men, I mean, sons of Archibald Gillespie.' "'George, Alfred, and Leighton? What possible interest can you have in them? Rich fellows, spendthrifts, every one of them. What have they been up to that you should rout me up at this hour?' For reply, I opened out the morning paper which I had been careful to bring along. "'See here,' I cried. "'Archibald Gillespie, the well-known broker, died suddenly last night from the effects of some drug mysteriously administered.' I was reading rapidly, anxious to see what kind of a story the reporters had made of it. He had been ill for some weeks back, but seemed perfectly restored up to half-past nine o'clock last evening, when he fell and died without warning, in the small room known as his den. A bottle of chloral was found on the mantel, but there is no proof that he took any of it. Indeed his symptoms were such that the action of a much more violent drug is suspected. His little grandchild was a witness to his last moments. "'George Leighton and Alfred are now more than rich fellows. They are rich men,' I suggested, relieved that my name had not appeared in the headlines. "'They need to be,' was the short reply. One of them, at least, stood in great need of money. "'Which?' I asked, with an odd sensation of choking in my throat. "'George, he's about played out as I take it. To my certain knowledge, he has lost in unfortunate bets $30,000 since summer set in. He has a mania for betting and card-playing, and, as his father had little patience with the vices of this nature, their relations of late have been more than strained. But he's a mighty big-hearted fellow for all that, and a great favorite with the men who don't play with him. I heard he was going to be married. That, and this sudden windfall, may set him straight again. He's a handsome fellow. Did you ever meet him? Once, I acknowledged. Then, with an effort of which I was more or less ashamed, I asked the name of the girl who was willing to take such a well-known spendthrift for a husband. Sam did not seem to be as well posted on this point as on some others. I have heard her name, he admitted, some cousin who lives in the same house with him. The old gentleman fancied her so much, he promised to give a big fortune to the son who married her. It seems that George is likely to be the lucky one. Strange, what odd things come up in families. There is another brother, Alfred, I think they call him. Oh, Alf, he's a deuced handsome chap, too, but not such a universal favorite as George. More moral, though. I think his sole vice is an inordinate love of doing nothing. I have known him to lie out half the night on a club divan, saying nothing, doing nothing, not even smoking. I have sometimes wondered if he ate opium on the sly. Life would be stupid as he spends it, 
if dreams did not take the place of the pleasant realities he scorns. I must have shown my amazement. This was not the Alfred Gillespie I had met the night before. I have heard that everything was not quite smooth with him. I know I haven't seen him around lately, crushing pillows and making us all look vulgar in contrast to his calm and almost insulting impassibility. I wonder what he will do with the three or four millions which will fall to his share. Mary, I suggested, flipping a fly from my coat sleeve. He, Alf, I don't believe he could hold himself erect long enough to go through the ceremony. Besides, it would be such a bore. That's my idea of Alf. It was not mine. Either he had greatly changed, or Sam Underhill's knowledge of him was of the most superficial character. As I wavered between these two conclusions, I began to experience a vague sensation of dread. If love could affect such a transformation in so unlikely a subject as the man we were discussing, what might it not affect in an ardent nature like my own? I hastened to change the subject. The third brother is already married, I believe. Leighton? Oh, he's a widower. Has been a widower for years. He was unfortunate in the marriage he made. After the first year, no one ever saw young Mrs. Gillespie in public. I don't think the old gentleman ever forgave him that match. What was the trouble? He seems to have a dear little girl. I saw her when I saw her uncle. Oh, the child, she's well enough. But the mother was, well, we will be charitable and say erratic. Common stock, I've heard. No made at all for a man like him. Not that he's any too good either for all his hypocritical ways. I have no use for Leighton. I cannot abide so-called philanthropic men whose noses are always in the gutter. He's a sneak, is Leighton, and so inconsistent. One day you hear of him presiding at some charity meeting, the next night you find him behind the scenes at a variety theater. And as for money, not one of Mr. Gillespie's sons spends so much. He has just drained the old man's purse, or so I've heard and when asked to give an account of himself, mentions his charities and many schemes of benevolence, as if the old man himself didn't spend thousands in just such lines. He doesn't look like a prig, I ventured. Oh, he looks well enough, but there's something wrong about the man. His own folks acknowledge it. Something shameful, furtive, something which will not bear the light. None of those boys are chips off the old block. Let's see the paper. What are you holding it off for? Anything more about Mr. Gillespie's death? Do they call it a suicide? That would be a sad ending to such a successful life. One question first. Was Mr. Gillespie a good man? He was rich, yet had few, if any, calumniators. I handed him the paper. There were some startling lines below those I had read out so glibly. They do not stop at suicide, I remarked. Murder is suggested. The drug was not administered by himself. Oh, protested Sam, running his eye over the lines that were destined to startle all New York that morning. This won't do. None of those boys are bad enough for that, not even Leighton. You dislike Leighton, I remarked. He did not reply. He had just come upon my name in the article he was reading. "'Look here,' he cried. "'You're a close one. "'How came you to be mixed up with the affair? "'I see your name here.' 
Read. He complied with an eagerness which I suppose but faintly mirrored that of half the Tribune's readers that morning. What he read, I leave to your imagination, merely premising that no new facts had come to light since my departure from the house and printing of the paper. When he had finished, he bestowed upon me a long and scrutinizing look. This knocks me out, said he, with more force than elegance. I would never have believed it, never, of any of these men. Then, with a sudden change quite characteristic, he ejaculated, it was a rum chance for you, Arthur. How did you like it? I refused to discuss this side of the question. I was afraid of disclosing what had become the innermost secret of my heart. He did not notice my reticence. This, too, was like him, but remarked with visible reluctance. The weight of evidence seems to be against Alf. Poor Alf! So this is the result of those long, unbroken hours of silent dreaming. I shall never trust a lazy man again, when they do bestir themselves. He has not been arrested yet, I interjected dryly. Till the police show absolute belief in his guilt, I for one shall hold my tongue. Poor Alf, was all the reply I received. End of chapter 12